Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Godsplaining. My name is Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, and I am today's host. I always feel a little bit strange about saying that because it makes it sound like there's only one Godsplaining host, but that would, in fact, be um, not true. It would be false because there are many Godsplaining hosts. Well, there are five Godsplaining hosts. Anyway, I'm joined today by my co-host, Father Gregory Maria Pine, also of the Order of Preachers, who's staring at the ceiling, looking as if an angel is about to descend. That would be great. Has descended. Past perfect. Already happened. And that angel's name is... Wait, never mind. That was about to get boastful. Um, <laughs> yeah, the hosting question is a serious one I feel like we need to address. We need to grab the proverbial bull by its horns because if everyone's a host, then no one's a guest, right? It's kind of like the um, the syndrome, evil villain on Incredibles problem. Uh, mm-hmm. If everyone's a superhero, then no one is, right? So if you make everyone special, then no one's different and then you're really wondering at the end of the day whether or not anyone is special but that's the thing because we all basically do the same thing so maybe we should just own the fact that we're all hosts (laughs) and we're all guests and we're all uninteresting (laughs) none of us is a bishop so technically you know our sort of our our rank in the eyes of the church would be the same on that on that platform we would we would be the same we're all in solemn vows the order preachers yeah, yeah that's about I it. mean, uh, Father Bonaventure. Father Bonaventure is a PhD student. You're a PhD student, so you know right. going in that the, makes us less. Going I in those think, directions, right? yeah. <laughs> Father Joseph Anthony has cura animarum. Father Jacob Bertrand and I don't have that. He's got care of souls. His pagella, his faculties are bigger than ours. Yeah, I think at this point we abandon it. The 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 attempt to draw any distinctions among between. I wonder. You know, it's funny because, like, never mind. I'm going to go down a dark alley. Yep, everyone. I have a one host. last comment about this, High and then we're moving everyone. on. Okay. Father Jacob Bertrand has director in his title. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, I guess, it's just the distinction between the director and the assistants to the director. Because truth be told, <laughs> I mean, right. all the world's in need of direction, and Father Jacob Bertrand's providing it. So Amen. we are but accessories right. to his active direction. <laughs> that's right. The goats he is herding. Boom. All right, but today's episode is not about hosting or about Mm-mm. direction or about hierarchy. Today's no. episode is, I guess, when all of those things go wrong, when all things <laughs> go right. Today, today we thought we'd talk about forgiveness. Um, forgiveness is, of course, a very difficult thing, and uh, for a lot of people, it can be unclear what what it even means. Um, you know, people wanting people wanting to forgive um, oftentimes struggle for many years with the desires of their heart. So we're going to look into that today. But I think the first place we should start is uh, the imperatives of the gospel, because uh, our starting place has to be, as Christians, the fact that forgiveness is not optional. So how do we arrive at that conclusion, that immediately out of the gate, that forgiveness is, for Christians, a way of life? Yeah, I think... Um... There's this line from St. Augustine where he says, God, give what you command and command what you will. So God, give what you command in the sense that like, all right, if you've commanded it, that seems to suggest that it's possible, not necessarily that it's possible on our own strength, but that it's possible Mm. by virtue of the grace which you give. So God, give what you command and command what you will. So there's the sense that 
what is being asked of us represents God's perfect plan for our lives, or it represents God's plan in one way, shape, or form, insofar as it already presumes sin or offense. Yeah, we're talking about something that um, is downstream of the fall or something that's post-lapsarian, he's a sweet word. So maybe I shouldn't insist too heavy-handedly on the fact of it's being perfect, but just simply to say, God, give what you command and command what you will. So what we're being asked of uh, in this evangelical command for forgiveness is something that God wills and which he commands and which he equips us for or which he outfits us for. So that's to say, we're not just being told, try harder. We're being told, um, act in accord with the grace that I am giving you by the preaching of the word, by the distribution of the sacraments, by the faith more broadly. So when we read things like, <clears throat> for instance, you may have heard of a prayer called the Our Father. <laughs> uh, this little savage. thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you may have said it a time or two, right? And in that it says, uh, forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. So there's this foundational command to forgive upon which the rest of the kind of dispensation of mercy is premised so that, you know, it's, it presumes God's grace. Because what if you prayed earlier in that prayer, you've asked him to give you this day your daily bread. Well, we together have prayed, give us this day our daily bread. The word there, super substantial. We're talking about not only the Eucharist in just a, a kind of straightforward sacramental sense, but the whole dispensation of grace. Like, fortify us, supply us in the order of grace so that we can do something, you know, because left to our own devices, St. Thomas will say like, yeah, you can make like decent roads, you can plant some nice looking vineyards, but who cares? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, we want to do something a lot more significant. I don't know. What do you see when you look at the Yeah, that's right. I think that, page? I mean, that's a, that's a great place to start, right? God is not going to ask the impossible of us. He will, in fact, orient the state uh, the, of life for us and provide for us to be able to fulfill it. So we could think of this in, uh, in terms of our vocations, right? Like, God, you know, when, when you're married, when you're in religious vows, God will always provide the graces for you to remain faithful in those states uh, since you have consecrated yourself rightly uh, in the name of God to them. Um, you know, the graces will, will always be there. They will abound. And those graces ultimately flow from the cross, the heart of all of God's grace, all of his mercy. It just pours pours forth, um, literally, from Christ's wounded and pierced side. Uh, so it's on the cross, then, that, that we might think of forgiveness, that we might begin to think of forgiveness, because Jesus says uh, to those who persecuted and tortured him on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Um, able to, even in that moment, um, turn the other cheek, another uh, command of Christ from the gospel. So, so for for me, forgiveness um, forgiveness has to be said at the cross, which means that it's painful, it's messy, it involves suffering, um, but that but that it flows ultimately from God's grace. And it's not something that we do uh, at the end of the day, but it is something that God does in through and for us. Boom. I don't know. Yeah, we could say guess... couple. We could say a couple other Bible passages too. We could if we knew the Bible. Um, I hear sometimes <laughs> on episodes you make you make fun of me even when I'm not present. You know, like see, no, someone else knows the scriptures. It's like you. I wouldn't. Booger. I wouldn't do that. Um, do that. Yeah. So I'm so I'm self conscious now about quoting the scriptures because I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to have that come back around and bite me in an episode on which I'm not present. Um, but I think too this idea that um, okay. So in the Gospel of Matthew, you hear it said, "Be ye therefore perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." 
The way that that's rendered in the Gospel of Luke is be ye therefore merciful, as your heavenly Father is merciful. Um, and you can associate that in your Lucan mind with this idea of the Good Samaritan. Uh, so who is the Good Samaritan in this parable, Lord asks? It's the one who shows mercy. And then he says, mm-hmm. go and do likewise. Mm-hmm. So there's the sense that our efforts at forgiving are basically in identity, identification with or in conformity to God's. So the reason that we can forgive is because God forgives. So you pointed this out right on the cross. Not only do we have a model or an exemplar in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sense of like, hey, look at that guy over there forgiving. That's, that's pretty fancy. I am impressed by his act of forgiving. I feel myself encouraged mm-hmm. to forgive mm-hmm. as well. It's not like something that happens at a distance. It's something that Christ is actually pouring into our hearts. It's something that he's actually doing in and through us. And in doing it in and through us, he draws us to himself. He conforms us to himself. He makes us like himself. So it's a very, I mean, it's a theological act insofar as it has God for its pattern and it has God for its end. It draws someone else into that love by virtue of the forgiveness which is offered. Uh, but it's a matter of becoming like God. Everything in the Christian life is a matter of becoming like God. It's not like forgive so that way you could be morally superior to your peers and then you could lord it over them and say like kind of offhand and condescending things in the hopes that they will <laughs> thereby desire to be like you, equally snooty unto the praise and glory of God. It's like, no, that's not it. It's not the point. It's to become like God and to draw others into that. Yeah, and I think that that, be, that becoming like God, we see that in another moment, right, where Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how many times must I forgive? Uh, right, what are, we, what are we called? And Jesus says seven times, 77 times, uh, which is a lot of times. Um, Father Humbert Kilinowski, professor of mathematics here at Providence College, could tell us exactly how many times. <laughs> seven times, 77 times. Anyway, the point, the point is that, that, it's, that this act of forgiveness is abundant like God. Um, even even seemingly endless. Uh, so, what are? Um, I want to move now to like well, what's what keeps people from being able to enter into this, right? Like, if this is ultimately God's work, um, where does unforgiveness come from, and how do we fight it? Yeah, I, think, I mean, it's always hard to talk about a sinful state because it's unintelligible, because every sinful state has with it a, a bit of madness, right? So the Lord says, forgive them for they know not what they do. So there's an element of ignorance, but there's also often elements of stirred up passions. There's elements of a kind of malicious twist to the will where you feel yourself kind of like clinging to it. Um, but, but all of those taken together form a kind of black hole. So you peer at the mystery of iniquity, you peer at the mystery of sin, and you don't get straightforward answers because... There's nothing there. Like it's right. it's the right. absence it's of what ought to be right. there. But I think that we can identify certain like emotional, psychological, spiritual dimensions of unforgiveness. Um, and it will depend person to person, how, like the characteristic ways in which you yourself feel hurt and then subsequently hurt back. But oftentimes I think uh, people will experience it as a loss of control and being hurt. And then unforgiveness is a way by which to control the situation. So maybe you've had a conversation with somebody whom you think has hurt you, and you find them to be unfor- kind of unapologetic or unsympathetic in their subsequent presentations. And then you find, like, no longer are you trying to fix the problem or troubleshoot it. What you're doing is you're building a case against them, right? So certainly in the 21st century, we live in a culture that, that 
places great emphasis on victims, victim status, and victimization. Some of that is to the good, but some of that I think actually makes us seek opportunities to claim our victim status so that way we can build a case against our aggressors, so that way the injustices that we ourselves have suffered become, in fact, a credit to us as if it were mm -hmm. righteousness. Okay? Mm -hmm. So in the state of unforgiveness, we've been dealt um, a wound, right? We've been done an injustice. And we hold on to the fact of our having been done an injustice so that we can wield it as what? Uh, as a kind of control, as a kind of manipulative high ground, or at the very least as just like a sense that if we're not good, you know, if we're not the hero of the story, at least we're the victim. Because we don't want to have to acknowledge the fact that we may be the enemy, you know. Um, there may be something that we're doing that we're contributing, which is actually part of the contribution of evil to this particular situation. So, I mean, that's just like a, a kind of basic sense, but some of yeah, those that's right. Are there. And I think like, what's the, what's the most common way that we see that play out in people's lives? Well, by ghosting someone, right. By just ignoring them and leaving, leaving it to the other party to figure out exactly how they've wronged us, uh, or to punish them, you know, and to allow this, to allow the situation to continue to spiral instead of saying to your loved one, to your friend, like, Hey, this is what you did. Um, you know, do you, do you even know that you did this to me? Um, so mm. I, I, I think you're right to say that the, the, the cage that, uh, the cage that we find our heart in is ultimately one that we build. I can think of a priest who, uh, the line from a priest who says that, that we don't hold grudges, grudges hold us, mm. that we, we allow these parameters to constrain our hearts. Um, anger in particular is the kind of thing that, that is often experienced here. I mean, pe pe people, People just kind of feel a rage, right, and uh, become detached from their reason and want to nourish it. A anger is like a fire that it's that it's pleasant to stoke. You know, you could just kind of continue to feed little bits and pieces there to it. Um, and when we mull over, when we turn over situations, um, continuing to look at something only from our own perspective, only from one perspective, and not questioning, you know, as you're suggesting, Father Gregory, not questioning the uh, the fault that we ourselves might have to play um all we're all we're doing is increasing the fire we're feeding that fire of anger um so what what can you say about uh you know the kind of um the the state here because we're talking about two things we're talking about our feelings and about the will um anger is one way that this plays out uh, which is both uh emotional and volitional or resentment which can be kind of the same um can you mm -hmm. how, how would you how would you suggest that we sort those things yeah i think that both emotions and affections, right? So those would be kind of more spiritual movements of the will are present in our response to hurt and then in our subsequent choice, whether or not we forgive. There has to be movement at both levels or in both registers. And I think a good way to summarize it is just to describe it after the manner of the heart, right? So the heart names that, that center of the person, it names that seat of choice, but it also, it kind of gets you both emotion and affection in the process. But I think that it's good, you know, insofar as it's good to distinguish things and in distinguishing them to know them a little bit better and in knowing them a little bit better to be able to perhaps speak a little bit more reason into them. So it's, I think it's good to distinguish the emotional response and then the volitional response to, you know, some circumstance or occasion in which a person hurts you. Uh, because on, on the one hand, there's, this, there's, there's typically uh, an initial response and then a subsequent one. So it, it'll depend, you know, on what your temperament is. There's some people who are more irascible and just respond very strongly um, and almost immediately to a situation. And then... Uh, hey, why yeah, like, you got to call me out like that? 
Yeah, right. Nice. Well, I'm just I'm, here I'm, minding my own business. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very different. Me. I'm, I'm melancholic in the sense that something happens and it registers to me as off. Okay. I'm like, this is off, but I don't know exactly what to say. Like I'm the type of person that goes back to my room and I think about like, yeah, what exactly happened there? All right. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I think that was a bad thing. And I think that bad thing was done to me. So now I'm going to think about that bad thing and sort it out. So I think there's a kind of like innocence or surprise to the former, right? Which is very emotional, heavy handedly emotional. And oftentimes the, the volitional response tends to be a little bit more just as a result is my experience. Okay. So like, it, I think it's a little bit over the top emotionally, but then at the volitional level, there isn't like a blackness to it. There isn't like a broodingness to it. There isn't like a, I've actually been assassinating you in my thoughts element to it. So it's just Chesterton describes like the innocence of anger and surprise. And I think that there's, there's something to that, which is nice. Whereas my case, you know, the melancholic case, um, I, I want to hold back on my initial response because I'm unsure exactly as to how one would respond. But then the more I spend with it, I can actually ratchet myself up in the volitional level. And I can be like, mm -hmm. I'm angry at this person. This person is bad. This person is the enemy. And then I'm building my case, right? I'm building my case. But I'm doing mm -hmm. that in the absence of the other person, right? I'm doing that absent my friend. And then I present that to my friend subsequently, like, brother, I have this thing, this very serious thing that I want to talk to you about. And if, if I'm that other person receiving that correction, I'm like, why did you like think about this for so long without me? You know, it's like we could have, we could have troubleshot it, presuming goodwill, you know, which you can typically do with friends. Um, <laughs> so I think it's good to be cognizant of like how you respond emotionally and then how you mm -hmm. respond volitionally. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're going to be interwoven, but there's, there's a temptation, right, um, to, yeah, there's a temptation to like make more of your anger in a way that can ultimately be unhealthy, that can be resentful, that can be unforgiving. And then that's when we find ourselves in the situation where the evangelical mandate really, really applies. Good. Well, uh, that's a packed first half of this episode. Um, when we get back, we haven't really talked about what forgiveness is or how to do it yet, um, which we will when we come back after the break. So hang tight, and we'll be right back with you. You are listening to Godsplaining. Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support. Well, friends, we've been talking about forgiveness. Well, actually, we've been talking about the gospel's mandate to forgive and the challenges to forgiveness, namely the kind of emotional and volitional states we find in our own hearts, typically that, that have more to do with unforgiveness than forgiveness, actually. Uh, but when we, when we talk about forgiveness, uh, Father Gregory, it, just give us a simple definition. What what do you think forgiveness is? Yeah, I think forgiveness is the choice to love someone again. Right. Yeah, I think it's just that. So, like, you know, given a, what we con said earlier, a continued commitment to willing the good of the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but but just like downstream of an offense. So yeah. you've been hurt. What are you going to do? Are you going to reinvent the wheel and come up with some new way to be friends? No, you're going to try to rekindle what was lost. And you're going to do it in a new way, just like Christ rekindled what was lost, but did it in a wildly much better way. <laughs> and it just means, you know, the choice to, the choice to continue to love someone. And mm. uh, that's super hard. I don't know if you have some, some initial thoughts on the matter. Um, I, think that, uh, I think that one thing that we need to clarify um, is that forgiveness is ultimately in the will. It's like mm -hmm. love. That it's impacted, of course, by our our emotional state um, and by this the setting 
and horizon of life. Um, so sometimes there are external factors that might that would make something make a particular situation very difficult to forgive in that moment. And sometimes some of those uh, some of those external factors, I'm thinking like setting um, or obligation, you know, like the nature of work. You know, maybe maybe a project has to end before you can forgive this teammate. Um, so sometimes these settings can impact that. But but ultimately, forgiveness is in the will, and it's a decision that that we make. Um, th- that we make. So it stems from the heart in that sense. Um, so yes, external and emotional factors can make it very difficult, um, and sometimes some of those have to change before we can truly begin to make that act of will. But but it's a conscious act, a conscious um, thing that we do, a decision that we make. Uh, in our heart that can be fixed. Um, so forgiveness uh, forgiveness is the kind of thing that is done. Um, so it's aided by grace, of course, uh, and by many by many other ancillary virtues. Maybe those are some of what we could dive into. So what what kinds of things, you know, if you're if you're trying to make this act of the will, Father Gregory, what what helps you to do so? So yeah, maybe just describe it a little bit, kind of after the manner of experience, and then crystallize those thoughts with some virtues. But I think I think. Uh, in unforgiveness, we've made a choice to harden our heart to another person. We've made a choice to kind of give the uh, less flattering or the less sympathetic read of their subsequent actions. It's like, this person's hurt me. Okay, I see that. And now I'm kind of bracing myself because I expect them to continue to act in such like manner unless they show by very evident or manifest signs that they're heart heartbroken over it, that they're very repentant, and that I'm more inclined to receive them back. But if I don't necessarily see that, if I don't see an adequate recognition of the fact of my having been hurt, then I'm just going to harden myself to that individual because, I mean, we're animals, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're a turtle, you, you retreat into your shell. If you're a porcupine, you put your quills out. I mean, it's just, it's just what we do as animals. We're not going to continue to expose ourselves in vulnerability to a source of, of trauma, of pain, of whatever, betrayal, things like that. So I think that when, when it comes to forgiving, we have to work against this kind of evolutionary biological tendency because it's going right. to make us retreat, right? It's going to make us fear the other or treat the other as enemy, as predator, as aggressor, as whatever. Um, so I think that, that, you know, like you said, forgiveness is an act of the will. It's a choice. It's a choice that needs to be continually ratified. It's not just a one-time only choice. It's a continual ongoing choice of love, right, to act in love towards the other person, if only in a kind of basic way, like I will that this person knows love and serves God and enjoys him in the next, right? I don't want the bad yeah. for this person. I want the good for this person. I think there can be definitive moments, though. I don't want to exclude that. Like, there could be a moment where someone reaches the point, right, where they can begin to make that choice. Um, you know, so just to say that someone can decide to forgive, and it can be a kind of it can be a kind of ultimate thing. You know, to let to let go and to allow God's grace to enter a very old, a very difficult wound. Um, I think so. There are two really key virtues, and then other lots of other ones that I think immediately impact. Um, forgiveness for St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, meekness, which is the moderation of our anger, and clemency, which is the mitigation of punishment. So meekness is, you know, the cold water that's thrown over the fires of anger, and sometimes our hearts look like Mount Doom, and <laughs> it's very difficult to pour any amount of water in there to to quench those fires. Um, and uh, clemency, you know, sometimes we want the most extreme punishment for someone you know we're we're going to exact um an eye for an eye which of course the gospel um 
deters us from, but we still want it. You know, like Father Gregory yeah. was describing the, you know, the the inner porcupineness of the human heart. Um, so, what do you what what makes us more meek? Um, we're not meek just to inherit the land. Um, we're not uh, we're not meek for meekness's sake. We're not clement. Um, well, some of us are clements. Shout out to Father Clement Dickey. Um, we're not. We're not. We're not clement because we are weak. Um, we don't mitigate punishments because we're we're soft in that way. Um, so, what can what can you say to us, Father Gregory about meekness and clemency? Yeah, I think you know everyone's seen these movies made in the late '90s, early 2000s about the Cold War, and you know some misunderstanding causes one nation to you know put their military kind of outposts on high alert and then all of a sudden warheads are being activated and all of a sudden they're, everyone's about to push the button and then they don't. So I think that anger is like that situation. It's like escalation towards mutually assured destruction because there's no, <laughs> like anger doesn't dial itself down, right? Because what anger says mm. is anger says, all right, there's an injustice that's been done and this needs to be vindicated. So it needs to, it's, it needs to have adequate redress. But we, on account of the fact that we're fallen and we're not yet perfectly reintegrated in virtue, well, we're, we're just by disposition, by temperament, by tendency, always going to overplay our anger. And when everyone's in the habit of overplaying his or her anger, then it just mounts. It just mounts towards mm -hmm. mutually assured destruction. And then you find yourself sad and alone and justified in your own mind, which is a terrible place to be. So when it comes to clemency, there's a kind of principle of self-doubt that you introduce. And you say like, okay, I'm angry. But chances are my anger is unjustified because as far as I can tell, there's only been one person who's been perfectly righteous in his anger. That's Jesus Christ. I can assume that the Blessed Mother, were she to exhibit anger, would also be righteous in such like things. But we just don't have gospel testimony of it. It's just like, I, I, it's just hard to do well. It's super hard to do well. And as a result of which, we should be a little bit skeptical of our ability to carry it off. Because when you're in the midst of anger, you feel very confident about that, that your anger is justified. But then afterwards, you're a little bit embarrassed. <laughs> you're like, yikes. So I think that we need to like import some of that embarrassment and say like, all right, I am not as justifiably angry as I think myself to be in the moment. Lord, quench the fires of my anger. And I think it just means going to the Lord and saying, Lord, take this from me if it is not just. Take this from me if there's nothing that I can do with it. Because, you know, getting upset at the news cycle, for instance, is not something with which you can actually, you know, uh, furnish some useful end for the sake of humanity. Like, what, is it, what does it help you to know that silly people did silly things? Who, who cares, okay? Just live your life. So I think that with respect to meekness, doubt the validity of one's anger, and then ask God to remove from it what is excessive. And then with respect to clemency, I think this is, you know, the movement whereby we soften our heart towards the other, mm. right? We've hardened our hearts. Yeah. We've kind of braced for contact or braced for impact. And here's the point at which we choose to soften our heart toward the other. I think of this hymn that comes up in the bravery. It's to the tune of King's West. And I forget the name, maybe in his own image or blah, blah, blah. But there's this line there, Jesus broke the circle of repeated sin. Mm -hmm. So left to its own devices, sin will just lather, rinse, repeat until, until what? I don't know. I guess if you use a shampoo image, you can't make it so that your end game is very devastatingly disastrous. It's like, you're going to lather, rinse, repeat until your hair is completely stripped of oil. It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, not that. Um, right. So, uh, there, there's no end to it. There's just no end to it until Christ puts an end to it. And so by clemency, we participate in Christ's putting an end to the cycle of repeated sin because 
he has promised to do as much in us. Yeah, so I think that those are, I mean, as much as I ever yeah. say anything practical, those are some practical things. Yeah, and I think that leads us to, that leads us to, the last, um, to the last thing that we could discuss on the episode. What does forgiveness look like in a settled state? Um, I think because forgiveness is an act of um, the will, which is, uh, you know, ultimately it's charity, as we've been saying. It's the, it's the movement of loving, um, of continuing to love someone, as Father Gregory said, downstream a wrong. Um, after having been wronged, so in a in a settled state, um, what does it look like? Well, we might apply to the state of forgiveness um, all all of the all of the fruits, all of the the kinds of things that accompany that accompany love. I mean, the promise of forgiveness is the promise of peace, of joy. Um, you know, the kinds of things that the kinds of things that are part and parcel to the life that Jesus promises us. Um, so the so the why the the why part of forgiveness why forgive is to get to this state where where the tumult where the turbulence is gone um what do you have to say about that yeah i think i mean you brought up the beatitude pertinent to uh uh meekness as it were so meekness the meek inherit the earth what does it mean to inherit the earth i think here of uh we're getting the land yeah exactly <laughs> we're coming into possession but what truth be told we are coming into possession in the sense that like okay i think of that movie remember the titans which gosh that's got to been like 20 years ago now it's forever like 97 no, yeah 24 years ago movie it is a great movie but i think about julius campbell when he's uh, first confronted by Gary Bertier about the way that he's playing defense, and he says, I'm going to look out for myself, and I'm going to get mine. And I think that that's the logic of anger, is I'm going to look out for myself, and I'm going to get mine. But once anger gives way to clemency, once the grace of God becomes operative, and a human heart softens it towards the other and makes this kind of move towards forgiveness, then you, then you look out for God and get God's, as it were. So you come into possession of something that's far more, far more vast, far more embracing, far more wonderful indeed. And I think that it's in that disposition that we can talk about the land. Because in ancient Israel, the land is everything. You can only really offer true worship in the lands, to the extent, the bewildering extent, that when Israel is exiled in Babylon, they bring with them soil from the Temple Mount, so that in standing on it, they can offer upright worship. So it's a very local thing. But Christ says, you know, in John 4, you'll, you'll neither worship here on Mount Gerizim, nor on Mount Zion. You'll worship in spirit and truth, which points back to John 1, which is an identification of the Word incarnate, which is an identification of himself. So Christ takes that land imagery and imports it, you know, for, kind of like attributes it to his own flesh. Like we worship in Christ. We have our possession in Christ. What we possess is Christ. And in having Christ, one has everything. And when you think about that, like anger dispossesses you of Christ because you're so, I don't know, hell-bent on holding on to your unforgiveness, your resentment, whatever, your frustration, that you lose hold of the Christ who wants to give you everything that is his, which truth be told, is everything. Um, so I think that that's a possession of a far more rich, grand, wonderful sort. If you're struggling to forgive, I counsel you to take the advice of Pope Francis, who says, first, pray for the desire for forgiveness. He says, the Holy Father recommends that we, that we pray to want to forgive. So we should say in our heart of hearts, Lord, help me to want to forgive this person, to desire uh, goodness and charity for them, um, to, to even want those things, to first seek the kind of peace that, that we've been here talking about. So I, so I commend that to you as a, a just kind of final salvo about w where do we even start and, and uh, what can it look like in one's life. So pray for those who have persecuted you. This is the gospel imperative. 
Uh, pray for us, too, as we continue our work here on God's Planning. We're grateful to all of you who support the podcast, who like and share our episodes on social media, our YouTube comment, commentators. Uh, we love you guys. If you are looking to offer further support, check out our merch. Um, that's accessible on the website. And uh, we look forward to sharing many more future episodes and projects with you. All right. God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.